Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. There was a newspaper article that they had framed on the wall, and it talked about this friendly ghost that haunts the Belton Chalet. And it said that the staff has seen this ghost, and he's wearing a derby hat and a thin necktie. And apparently, weird things happen, like the wood floors creak, the chandeliers swing, pots and pans clang in the kitchen. And at night, when all is quiet, the staff has heard the cries of a man coming from that long hotel hallway, basically right outside the door of our room. And I thought it was you. That could have been me. That could have been me. <laughs> Next time we stay there, I'm bringing a derby hat and a thin necktie. <laughs> Is that all he wears? Is a derby thin necktie? <laughs> I hope not. I hope weird. we never see him. This is the Dear Bob and Sue podcast, stories from our journey to all the U.S. national parks and other public lands. I'm Matt Smith. And I'm Karen Smith. We are the authors of the Dear Bob and Sue series of books. Today's episode is part two of our two-part series about Glacier National Park in Montana. Last week, we discussed lodging that's unique to Glacier, the park's historic backcountry chalets built over 100 years ago, and we talked about our experience hiking to and staying in the Granite Park Chalet. In this episode, we'll share our favorite hiking trails and other places we love in and around the park. And we'll also talk about Glacier's grand historic lodges that have been welcoming park visitors since the very beginning. All of this and more coming up next. All right, ready for a new episode. I hope this doesn't get interrupted by our woodpecker friend. If the listeners hear a sound like knocking on the door, it's it's not somebody trying to get into our room. It's a woodpecker who's... Our new best friend new who best won't leave friend us alone. will not leave us alone. <laughs> no. I go out there, I clap my hands, I yell at him often, and sometimes the neighbors are watching me. <laughs> Matt, the neighbors are always watching you, yeah. and they're always wondering what you're doing I'm out clapping there. Clapping my hands and yelling at the roof, so <laughs> <laughs> which probably isn't a huge surprise to the neighbors. Oh, there's Matt again. <laughs> yeah, well, I hope the woodpecker just goes to their house. But I, I think I might have a solution. You know, I bought this little hobby drone a year or so ago, and of course. You can't use drones in the national park or most public lands are just prohibited. So I, I have nowhere to fly it. The only place I can fly it is in our backyard. I saw you out there with that yesterday. I so I, I've been kind of bummed because it's not super fun just to fly your drone in your backyard. <laughs> but now oh God. <laughs> with the woodpeckers who oh no. are attacking our house, I'm going to start harassing the woodpeckers with the drone. I think that's a humane way to keep woodpeckers away from your house. I'm not hurting them. I'm right. Just, I'm You're just, just scaring I'm just, them. I'm scaring them because <laughs> the clapping and yelling isn't working. So you're going to fly the drone up on the roof where they're hanging out and then just what? Hover around their little faces? Buzz them. Buzz them. I'm just going to buzz them. <laughs> I think the noise alone bothers them. Yeah. So I just want to make sure that... Um, that woodpeckers are not like crows in that they remember people's faces and then they take revenge. <laughs> they, they might. <laughs> they might. That's why I have a photo of you, <laughs> your face fierce. on the drone. <laughs> so. <laughs> I'm never going in our backyard again. <laughs> yeah. There's multiple woodpeckers. There's multiple species that are 
interested in our house. Little ones, big ones, a flicker that isn't actually a woodpecker, but he's got a big long beak and likes to poke holes in the side of our house. Anyway, that has nothing to do with this episode, but no, if but you hear knocking during this episode and, and we can't edit it out, that's that's where it's coming from. All right. So we should probably get started. We have a lot to talk about today. Yes, let's get started. Okay. So today is part two of our two-part series about Glacier National Park. The crown of the continent. The crown of the continent. About a year ago, we did an informal survey on our Instagram stories because we were, we were curious as to which national park was people's favorite park. So we did an informal survey asking them and Glacier was the overall winner, followed pretty closely by Yellowstone. Yeah, that wasn't a big surprise. We love Glacier too. You know, it's one of those parks that we just keep going back time and time again. I think we've been to Glacier five times now in the summer and we have been there twice in the wintertime. And one of the things about Glacier is that you can't see everything on one trip or even two trips. And a lot of times you might get turned back from something you want to do, whether you want to do a particular hike and there is bear activity and they close the trail or whether it's foggy when you get up to Logan Pass. I think there are just a lot of things that can happen in Glacier. Day by day it changes. So yeah, whenever you go to Glacier or really any national park, you do have to have a flexible plan because the thing that you wanted to do might not be available and then you just, you go do something else. So today's episode is not an entire overview of the park because we still have a lot of things left on our list to see and do when it comes to Glacier. But we're going to be talking about some of our favorite things to do, some of our favorite hikes, um, as well as some of the lodging, some of those great historic lodges. That's right. So when's a good time to go to Glacier National Park? We get this question about really all sorts of parks. Summer starts early in a lot of places. You know, when we used to live in Kansas, summer kicked off Memorial Day weekend, but that's not how it is in Glacier. No. Summer season in Glacier doesn't fully start until going to the Sun Road opens and snow melts from the higher elevation trails. I was looking back at opening dates. We were there last summer hoping to drive the going to the Sun Road, but it didn't open until July 13th. Now this year it opened July 1st. Some years it opens the last week of June. So you just don't know until they tell you it's open, it's not open. And we're referring to the Alpine section of the road. They do open other parts of the road gradually leading up to the Alpine section. Right. They keep the going to the Sun Road open. Again, this is the Alpine section until mid-October, weather permitting. They actually said on their website it was going to be the third Monday of October, unless, of course, they get a heavy snowfall before then. Which they could. We have seen snowfalls third week of September, huge winter storms in, in Glacier National Park. So, yeah, I know this is a challenge for people who don't live within a driving distance of the park. All right. I, we, we hear from a lot of people who are, you know, they're flying from the East Coast to do a, a trip or a vacation in the park. And I get it. They have flights. They have to plan those ahead of time. And it can be frustrating. But that's that's just the way it is when you're dealing with these wild, mountainous areas. And I would say if we had to narrow it down to specific dates, if I were planning my trip to Glacier, I would choose between July 15th and September 15th. I know this year on September 20th, the entire mini Glacier Valley will close, and that has some of our favorite hikes that we'll be talking about. So anyway, just as a guideline, that's what we would suggest. All right. Now, this park in particular, before you go, it takes a lot of advanced planning. And one of the first things you'll want to do is get your lodging. If you want to stay in those uh, great hotel park lodges, they open their reservation systems a year ahead of time and they sell out immediately. So that's one thing that you're going to want to start looking at at least a year ahead of time. And this is something that they've started just recently is they have now they have a reservation system for the going to the sun road. So once that road's open, you still need a reservation to go up over it. And that was new this year, and a lot of people didn't know about it. We heard from people who went to the park on their vacation from far away, and they got to the little kiosk entrance, and they got turned away. And this, again, we're talking about the going to the sun road corridor. So the way it works is... 
You have to get online ahead of time to get your reservations. When you buy your first day reservation, it's good for seven days. There are some tips and tricks, though. Mm -hmm. The road is open from 5 p.m. all the way to 6 a.m., so right. in the middle of the night, uh, up to 6 a.m., anyone can drive that road. So you don't need the reservation. So what people will do is they'll get up at 5 a.m. They'll drive up there, park their car next to the trailhead that, for the hike that they want to do. And that's how they get up there without a reservation. Right. That's one way to get around it. Another way is if you have lodging in the Going to the Sun Road corridor, not any place else in the park. So that would be Lake McDonald Lodge or the Sperry and Granite Park Chalet or the Apgar Village Inn or at one of those campgrounds, they will let you in. You show them your lodging reservation and you don't need a Going to the Sun Road reservation. Right. That makes so sense. Essentially, that reservation gets you past the entrance kiosk. Mm -hmm. And then once you're there, you can go anywhere mm -hmm in that corridor. Right. Also, if you have a tour scheduled, a boat tour on Lake McDonald or St. Mary Lake, they will also let you in with that. You just have to show proof of that. And again, the other sections of the park do not need a reservation. Just the entire going to the Sun Road corridor from the west entrance all the way over to the St. Mary entrance. So there is one other way to get around this reservation system for going to the Sun Road, which is the hiker shuttle. There are shuttles that will take folks up to Logan Pass. They make other stops throughout the park as well. So this year, that system opened June 1st, first come, first serve. And so you have to know your dates and, and you're going to select the hour in which you want to get on the shuttle at the start and choose the entrance where you want to pick up the shuttle, the Apgar Visitor Center on the west side or the St. Mary Visitor Center on the east side. And then... You get a wristband for the day, and once you're in the system, you, you can ride those shuttles. Right. And one of the great things about riding the shuttle is you can get on and off all day long whenever you want to. Once you, you know, once you get on the bus at your assigned time, then you have that wristband and you can ride it for the rest of the day and you don't have to worry about parking. But again, you need to get a reservation for this and they do sell out quickly. So this is another thing that is going to require some advanced planning. They hold some back though. They do hold some back. Uh, we had trouble. We wanted to get a different time. Um, of the ones that they held back. And I got on as soon as they went up for grabs and they were already gone. So, so, so. when do the ones that they hold back, not the June 1st, uh, first come, first serve, but after that, do they? I believe it's two days ahead of um, the day that you want. Okay. So two days ahead of time. Lots of advanced planning on those. The other thing, if you're planning a trip to Glacier National Park, if you want to do a boat tour or a red bus tour, you, you know, you want to check out those reservations in advance. And also they do have horse rides in the park. Yes, That's they do. <laughs> <laughs> we, we'll talk more about this later. There's definitely horses in the park. Yes. Yeah, so you want to check that out too. Now that you have your trip planned, what should you bring to the park? If you're going to hike, you absolutely need bear spray. There are, there are black bears, grizzly bears in this park. They are active. People do see them on trails often. So bear spray, also the 10 essentials, and uh, you should bring uh, rain gear. Rain gear, also some layers of warm clothing. Uh, we always throw in our down jackets and hats and gloves too, because you just never know what the weather's going to be like, even in the summer. Pretty much everything you own. Put it in your backpack yeah. <laughs> and take it with you to Glacier National Park, yeah. which is what we do. We just throw everything in yeah. the truck and then we're yeah, covered. Yeah, we have a 50-pound pack to go on a one-mile hike. But we've got everything yeah, we need. Yeah, we have. Yeah. Can't find the bear spray. No, I'm just kidding. So today we're going to talk about four different areas in the park. The going to the Sun Road corridor between the West Glacier entrance and the St. Mary entrance. The Two Medicine area, the Many Glacier area, and the North Fork entrance at Pole Bridge on the west side. All right, where should we start? The, the west end? Let's start at the going to the Sun Road Quarter at that West Glacier entrance side. That's the entrance that is closest to the towns to the west, like Columbia Falls, uh, Whitefish, Kalispell on the, on the western side. If you're coming from that area, that's probably where you're going to enter the park. 
And as soon as you come in, you see a little village area. There are some uh, camp stores and a little restaurant and uh, kind of a little developed area there. Yeah, in that little area, there's a, a couple of places to get um, panic food. So <laughs> if you're going for a backpack trip and it's the night before and you don't think that you have enough food and snacks, you can go into one of those camp stores and and buy food that you would normally not eat anywhere else. We went in there the night before we hiked to Granite Park Chalet, and it was like we were never going to eat again. Remember how much food we bought? Huge sandwiches and chips and beef jerky. Slami and cheese. (laughs) Slami and cheese. Because that's what you're going to (laughs) need. Cookies. (laughs) Yeah, <laughs> I think it was like fifty dollars in snacks for a for a one hike out to Granite Park. Yeah, I still have three fourths of those snacks in my backpack. <laughs> but before you go into the park, just outside the west entrance on the other side of Highway Two is the historic Belton Chalet that we briefly mentioned on last week's episode. It was the very first chalet that the Great Northern Railway built in 1910. It's a nice little chalet. We've stayed there a couple of times. They say it's haunted. I I don't know if, if that's true or not. We never saw any ghosts or heard anything in the middle of the night. Well, I, no, I, I take that back. There was somebody in our room snoring. <laughs> That was the ghost. Oh, that was oh, that was the ghost? <laughs> no, the first time we stayed there, there was a newspaper article that they had framed on the wall, and it talked about this friendly ghost that haunts the Belton Chalet. And it said that the staff has seen this ghost, and he's wearing a derby hat and a thin necktie. And apparently, weird things happen, like the wood floors creak, the chandeliers swing wildly. Swing wildly? mm -hmm, And pots and pans clang in the kitchen. And then at night, when all is quiet, the staff has heard the cries of a man coming from that long hotel hallway, basically right outside the door of our room. (laughs) That and I thought been, it was you. That could have been me. That, that could have been me. <laughs> Next time we stay there, I'm bringing a derby hat and a thin necktie. Just, just I'm for bringing grins. a gun. Yeah. <laughs> is is that all he wears? Is a derby thin necktie? <laughs> I hope not. I hope we never see him. They speculate that it's Lewis Hill, who was the president of the Great Northern Railway back in the early 1900s when the hotel was built. Um, anyway, he, that's kind he, of He fun. liked the chalet so much he's, that he's now he's haunting now it. Haunting it? Mm-hmm. Okay. Anyway, this is a fun hotel to stay in. Great location. It's small. It only has 26 rooms that are spread across two stories. Of course, there's no elevator like most of these hotels. Then it has two bigger cottages if you're bringing your family, and it has a restaurant. It has a restaurant. We've never eaten at the restaurant. It's been full uh, both times we were there, but we found a great restaurant just like a half a block away. Uh, the Glacier Highland restaurant is fantastic. Oh my gosh, we ate there twice. We yeah. liked it so much. And yeah, really good food. Actually, the folks at the Belton Chalet recommended it because their restaurant was full. On the other side of Highway 2 from the Belton Chalet is the old Belton Bridge, which for decades was the primary entrance to the park. It's located down a side street just to the east of the West Glacier Village. It was built in 1920 over the middle fork of the Flathead River, and it's close to cars now, but you can park right next to it and walk over. It's really hard to imagine that that pretty narrow bridge was the primary entrance to Glacier National Park back then. Yeah, that that's how visitors got into the park back in the day. Yeah, now in the summer, people go and they jump off the bridge into the river. I was trying to talk you into doing that. No, yeah, I'm not doing that. As most things that you suggest, I'm not, I'm not going to do. People also float a stretch of the river mm-hmm. there. It's definitely worth checking out when you're in West Glacier. Okay, so now moving into the park, there's this cute little Apgar village, which has a great view of the southern end of Lake McDonald. Um, In this village, there's a cute little gift shop, a a restaurant, and the Apgar Village Inn, which was built in 1956 on the lake. And you can also stay there. Yeah, and the location can't be beat. And then close by there is the Apgar Visitor Center, one of the biggest visitor centers in the park. Definitely want to stop there. And that's where we picked up the hiker shuttle and also a lot of those red bus tours leave from there as well. Now, if you drive from Apgar 
further into the park. That's a beautiful drive along the lake. Mm -hmm. And one of the first things you'll come to is Lake McDonald Lodge. And everyone should stop there, even if you don't have reservations, which we have never been able to get. We've popped in there a few times. And then you can, not only is the hotel worth checking out, but then you can walk out the back. There's a dock there right on Lake McDonald with some incredible views. Now, that hotel was built in 1913-1914 by John and Oliver Lewis. It was actually named the Lewis Glacier Hotel when they originally built it. And they built it from native stone and big western red cedar. And without any railroad service or roads in the park, the way people got back there was by by boat. They took a boat from that Apgar Village area all the way back to Lake McDonald. How cool would that be? I know. That must have been amazing. And I read that when they were building the hotel, that's how they had to get the building materials back there. They either ferried them by boat in the summer or they skidded them 10 miles across the ice of the lake in the winter. Yeah, the lake, which is the largest in the park, doesn't freeze completely very often. So they were lucky that particular winter. So in last week's episode, I misspoke, or actually misspoke is kind of a, a gentle way of saying I got <laughs> it wrong. <laughs> you made a mistake. I was wrong. I originally thought that the Great Northern Railway built Lake McDonald Lodge, but as you said, Matt, it was built by the Lewis brothers. Anyway, what happened was after they built it at the same time that these other lodges were going up, and, and they also built it in that Swiss style... Then they sold it to the National Park Service in 1930, which changed the hotel's name to the Lake McDonald Hotel, and they leased it to the Great Northern Railway at that point. The name was changed again in 1961 when Glacier Park took over the management, and then they changed it to Lake McDonald Lodge. So it's had a couple of different names, but it's actually, I think, stayed almost exactly the same. And it's lodge-like on the inside. They designed it to look like a hunting lodge. It's got big animal heads. and Yeah, you like that, don't you? Yeah. I also love they have all those beautiful lanterns hanging from the ceiling, which are also something to see mixed in with the animal heads. Yeah. So very cool place to stop. Now, as you head north along the going to the Sun Road, you'll be going alongside McDonald Creek, and there are some pullouts on the west side of the road. And you'll want to stop and take a look at that. You can see McDonald Falls, and you can also see the Sacred Dancing Cascade Falls. And those are beautiful. Yeah, depending on what time of year you're in the park, some of those falls and, and areas can be pretty spectacular when the water's really running. Yeah, when we were there a few weeks ago, it was not running very fast. Yeah, not a lot of water. Now, over in that same general area, there are a couple of really great hikes. Uh, first of all, there's the Trail of the Cedars Nature Trail, which is a one-mile loop, a very easy hike, and it's one of two wheelchair-accessible trails inside the park. Also, from that trail, you can continue on up to Avalanche Lake. And so that's about four and a half miles round trip. 730 feet of elevation gain. It's moderate. Mm -hmm. um, uh, we've only snowshoed it, uh, so we're not sure how easy or hard it is in the summertime when there's no snow. It's probably a, a lot easier. Avalanche Lake is a beautiful lake rimmed with steep cliffs on three sides, and depending on when you go, cascading waterfalls. But it's super popular. And just so you know, it's hard to find parking there. So go early or later in the day, middle of the day, it's it's tough to find a parking spot. Yeah, there always seems to be a traffic jam in that area as cars are waiting and circling for a parking spot. So let's talk about the going to the Sun Road. Just a few specifics if people are not familiar with it. All righty. The Going to the Sun Road is a spectacular 50-mile paved two-lane highway that bisects the park east and west. It opened fully in 1933. Yeah, I, I read that it took 20 years to build that road. And of course, like everything else, they did it in stages. Um, so, you know, there were parts that were open that you could drive to. Well, when you consider that the road is only open to travel for three or four months a year, that's about the same amount of time they had to work on it each year. That's right. That's why it took 20 years. The Alpine section of the Going to the Sun Road is the most spectacular. If you haven't driven it yet, the road is very narrow and winding. It's two lane, but it, those lanes seem very narrow, don't they? You need to pay attention to where the edge of the road is on the 
cliff drop off side. There's a lot of stone guardrails, so that helps. But you also have to pay attention to where the cliff is on the mountainside because I'm watching cars drive down that road. They're missing the cliffs by four or five inches. And so you don't want to get to the other side of the park and find a bunch of rock scrapes on the side side of your vehicle. No, you don't. When we took the hiker shuttle up there, our shuttle bus driver had a passenger in the front seat across from him. And he was playing tour guide. And he kept pointing out her window and looking away from the road. And I know Lolly and I were sitting behind him. We were dying because he, he kept taking his eyes off the road. And you don't want to do that when you're on going to the Sun Road. Nope, you don't. <laughs> we were looking at the steep drop-offs along the edge of the road where one wrong move and you're a goner. Oh, yeah. <laughs> because of the narrowness of the road, vehicles longer than 21 feet and wider than eight feet are prohibited on that alpine section. And they do check for this. If oh, yes. we, we have personal experience of, of a friend who tried to pull a trailer up the road, and they do turn people around at Logan Pass and give them tickets. You'll probably see a lot of very brave souls on bicycles along going to the Sun Road. During the busy summer months, it is prohibited to be riding your bicycle between 11 a.m. and 4 p.m. Yeah, because there are a lot of spots where you're just not going to pass a bicycle. There's just not enough room to pass them, and uh, that would be dangerous. So it's probably better that they're they're off the road during those those peak hours. But there are a fair number of pullouts along the road. Yeah, pullouts for slow drivers, but also places to stop and look at the scenery. Especially the first time you drive it, we'd encourage everyone to pull over at all the pullouts and get out and look at the view and take photos because it changes with kind of every curve in the road. It does, unless it's very early in the morning and you're trying to get one of the few parking spots up at the top, then <laughs> go go straight to where you want to park. And let's talk about that. We're referring to Logan Pass, uh, which has a large visitor center. This is up at the Continental Divide. It's the highest point of the Going to the Sun Road at 6,646 feet. It's about 32 miles from the west entrance and about 18 miles from the St. Mary entrance. And what happens usually is the the rangers told us that the parking lot fills up by 6 a.m. So at that point, the rangers come out, they block off the entrance to the visitor center, and they stand there. And as one car leaves, they allow another car to come in. But they don't allow any cars to sit and wait. So if you happen to be going by and the lot's full, you have to keep driving. Yeah, they, they, they move you along. <laughs> However... If you're in a hiker shuttle, they let you right in. They do. Another good reason to take the hiker shuttle. I tell you what, we have had two or three visits to the park where we wanted to hike at Logan Pass and we couldn't get in. And it is very frustrating. So either go super early or take the hiker shuttle. Yeah, I'm generally not a big fan of shuttles in the national park, but they do make it very convenient. Matter of fact, this last few weeks ago when we were there we did the Hidden Lake Trail. And then the only the only way we were able to do that is to take the hiker shuttle up to Logan Pass. And it, that trailhead's right there at, at the visitor center. And we hiked to Hidden Lake, which has been in your wish bucket for a long time. Yes, it's one of the most popular hikes in the park. And it is absolutely beautiful. Uh, now, the whole Hidden Lake Trail, if you go down to the lake, it's 5.4 miles round trip and about... 1325 feet of elevation gain and the thing is once you once you are basically standing above the lake then the trail drops 770 feet down to the shoreline so that was a little that was a little strenuous especially coming back up right people do go just to that overlook and there's uh, some viewing platforms there and the hike up to that spot which is i don't know about a halfway along the trail Uh, There's a lot of boardwalks. It's a wide trail. It's not easy because there's some elevation gain, but it's wide and it can accommodate a lot of people. And then once you get past that and start going back down to the lake, 
trail gets narrower and uh, yeah, you just have to remember once you go all the way down to the lake, you got to come back. That's right. And that's the fun part. Now the trail to the overlook is about 2.7 miles round trip. And we saw a ton of people doing that. And we'd highly recommend it because that overlook is absolutely stunning. And we got a bonus because we saw goats. We saw what it was a mama goat and like four little babies. I don't know what uh, what maybe, their, their roles were in, the, in, the, in the goat goat family. Uh, it was a so, parental unit. There were some big goats and some small goats. That's all. They could have been total strangers for all we know. Just hanging out but you're, together. Yeah, you're, Making up a family. I like to think of them as, as family units. Okay. Mm-hmm. But we we had been watching them for a long time. They were up high on this ridge line above us. And all of a sudden, they started walking. And we thought, are they going to come down? Are they going to come down? And sure enough, they headed straight down for the boardwalk that we were standing on. With a look of contempt for all of the hikers <laughs> down below. <laughs> it's like they got to the top of the ridge, looked over, saw all the hikers like, ah. Again, I know. And everyone on the trail ran, just made a beeline for the goats with their phones out and their cameras. And, you know, I'm torn because I know how aggravating it is to see these kind of human jams and traffic jams when people are trying to get photos of wildlife. And and people do go way too close, but you can also see the excitement in their eyes. And these people have never seen an animal in the wild. And so it is kind of, I mean, it's definitely a thrill, right? It, it is pretty cool to see these animals in the wild. Mm-hmm. They, they are spectacular. And you have to remember that these trails that are going through the park, they make up a very small percentage of the park, right? And so these animals... They have plenty of wilderness to live in. And so I think it's a good compromise in being able to let people get into the park, but also protect the wilderness so it's not it's it's not changed by humans too much. I agree. One other trail that leaves from Logan Pass that we loved and that we talked about in our part one episode was the Highline Trail. If you hike the Highline Trail, it's 7.6 miles to get to Granite Park Chalet. And if you want to do the whole loop, it's 12 miles. But as we said last week, it's not really a loop. It's called the loop because it refers to the loop trail. And so people generally Mm -hmm. somehow get picked up or dropped off at one end or the other. Right. Or there are parking lots at both places if you can find a spot. So if you have two cars, you can drop them at both ends. And of course, you could take the hiker shuttle. But the Highline Trail, even if you just hike a mile or two out, is spectacular. Yeah, there's no uninteresting part of that trail. No. So just going a mile out and mile mm-hmm. back is, is definitely worth doing. Yes, we also mentioned last week there are some steep drop-offs and exposed areas, so if that's not your thing, then you might want to skip this one. Why take one vacation with the family when you could take all of them? With Royal Caribbean, you don't just go to the beach. You visit a private island and race down the tallest water slide in North America. You don't just go for a road trip. You ATV and zip line through the jungle. You don't just go somewhere new. You rappel down waterfalls and discover ancient temples. Because this isn't just any vacation. This is all the vacations. Come seek the Royal Caribbean. Ships Registry, Bahamas. This episode is brought to you by Reese's Peanut Butter Cups. In breaking news, leading scientists worldwide are conducting experiments to determine if Reese's Peanut Butter Cups are the perfect combination of peanut butter and chocolate. However, it appears the study was inconclusive, as the scientists couldn't help but eat all the Reese's. Because when you want something sweet, you can't do better than Reese's. Find Reese's now at a store near you. So that's kind of the Logan Pass area. Uh, Off to the east is the St. Mary entrance side of the park. Right, and beautiful St. Mary Lake. We haven't spent a lot of time over there, so I'm just going to mention a few of the popular things to do. Uh, there is one hike that will take you past St. Mary Falls and Virginia Falls. We have not done that, but it's supposed to be beautiful. There is some lodging over there, the Rising Sun Motor Inn and Cabins. And there are a couple of jaw-dropping overlooks to stop at. Sun Point Overlook and Goose Island Overlook. There's a good-sized there's good visitor center. 
the St. Mary Visitor Center. That's right. And another thing that's in my wish wish bucket is to do a boat tour on St. Mary Lake to really get to see that area. So we still need to spend more time over there. Now, just south of the St. Mary entrance is the two medicine part of the park. Right. The crowning glory of that area is beautiful to Medicine Lake. Uh, the road back into, into that area will take you right to the lake where you can park. And if you're interested, you can do a boat tour on the lake. Apparently, the boat that they take you on is the oldest boat in the fleet. It's, it's one of those historic boats. Now, back there, there is a trail, the Running Eagle Falls Trail, that's about 0.6 miles. It's easy. It's also one of the two trails in the park that's handicap accessible. And a couple other trails there are the South Shore Trail and the North Shore Trail. Now, each of those have spurs off to other trails, so there is a lot of hiking back there. And when we were there recently, we visited that camp store, and that building used to be part of the Two Medicine Backcountry Chalet that we talked about last week in our episode about the Backcountry Chalets. Yeah, so check that out if you're back there. I tell you what, the the entire park has so much history. We could do an entire History Channel episode on Glacier National Park. Yes, we could. (laughs) I know you would love that. If you would like to do another History Channel on Glacier National Park, I'll sit and watch you. (laughs) Okay. (laughs) Also over in the general area of Two Medicine is another incredible park lodge. It's in the little town of East Glacier, and it's called Glacier Park Lodge. It's outside the park. It's actually on the Blackfeet Indian Reservation. And it was built by the Great Northern Railway in 1912-1913 and I think it's one of the best preserved lodges in the national park system. I think it looks now the way it probably looked when it was first opened. Yeah, it is really spectacular to see. It's also called the Big Tree Lodge and it features this They call it a forest lobby, which once you see it makes perfect sense because they have these huge Douglas fir timbers. They're like pillars that line both sides of the lobby. And each of these timbers are more than 40 feet tall, and they're up to three feet in diameter. And what's cool is those trees, when they cut them down and and use them to build the logs, were 800 years old. Mm Mm-hmm. So impressive to see these. The other interesting thing I think about Glacier Park Lodge is that ever since the hotel was built, the Blackfeet tribe has played a huge role in this particular place. They Uh, used to greet visitors at the railroad station. That's right. When they got off the train. In full Indian dress. Yeah. And then they did cultural performances every night. They did songs and dances and Indian sign language. They even set up a teepee village on the hotel grounds, which guests could tour. And they still have some of those teepees sitting there in in front of the hotel now. They do, yes. So it's, it's very cool to see all of the Indian influence that still plays a part in this hotel even today. Yeah, I like that little East Glacier area. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's there's not much of a town there, but there was a fantastic Mexican restaurant that we went to. And it's a fun little area to spend some time. Again, even if you can't get reservations to stay there, definitely go in and check out this hotel because it's it's phenomenal. All right, so moving on to the mini glacier area, which they call the Switzerland of America. Well, and they also call that of the North Cascades National Park. <laughs> I thought that was the <laughs> yeah, Alps of America. Yeah, yeah. Maybe maybe it's a different Alps. <laughs> maybe it's, this is the Switzerland of America. Okay, that's right. The mini glacier area, and it's and it's not many glaciers, which is what I want to mm-hmm. always say. It's many glacier. If we had to choose our favorite section of the park, hands down, it would be Many Glacier because not just the scenery, it does look like Switzerland of America, but the hiking back there is incredible. Yeah, some of our best memories of the park have Mm -hmm. been back in the Many Glacier area. So just one thing to note if you're going back there and if if you're not staying in some of the lodging that we'll talk about in a minute, you want to go early because... Early in the day. Early in the day, right. Because when the parking lots back there get filled up, the National Park Service closes that area to any more cars. 
we asked a ranger what time we should reasonably get there to make sure we got in. And they told us between 8 and 9 a.m. So just just a heads up on that. Yeah. uh, Get there early as with probably every area of the park that you want to visit. Um, Earlier, the better. That's right. Now, that Mini Glacier Hotel, now that opened to the public in 1915. So a lot of these hotels and lodges and chalets, they were all being built and opened at the same time. The, the park really just had its golden era there in the early part of the 20th century as, as people were discovering the park and, and getting out in it. And this Mini Glacier Hotel I think, has one of the most beautiful settings of any National Park Lodge. It sits on the shore of Swift Current Lake, and you are looking directly across at a mountain that's called Grinnell Point, and it rises up like a pyramid above the lake. And, I mean, have you ever seen anything more spectacular? Well, if you were going to design a mountain to be on the other side of the lake opposite your hotel, you would design it, you would make it look just like that. That's right. Yeah, it's this perfectly shaped mountain, and it's beautiful when the, especially in the early morning when there's no breeze and the lake is still, that mountain reflects in the water. Mm-hmm. Fantastic uh, photo opportunity. Oh, yeah. And they have a back porch that spans the length of the hotel. And you can sit out there with with a cocktail or with your morning coffee and just enjoy that incredible view. Uh, we've stayed there a few times. Now, like, like these other hotels that were built in the park, it has a Swiss theme. And one thing we loved is, remember back in the day they offered the Swiss uh, cheese fondue? I do remember that. They they do not offer that anymore. I don't know if that's a COVID thing. It's temporarily, hopefully one day the fondue will come back. I hope so because it's nice to pr- really pretend like you're in Switzerland <laughs> and have a glass of wine and that and that Swiss fondue. After a difficult hike. After yeah, a difficult you hike. You have to earn your fondue. <laughs> So the other lodging that's back there is the Swift Current Motor Inn and Cabins. We've stayed there also, and we thought that was great. Uh, When you look at the history of this, it was a hodgepodge development. Uh, It started as Lake McDermott. I don't even know where Lake McDermott is. I don't either. Uh, Lake McDermott Teepee Camp back in 1911. And then it turned into Many Glacier Auto Tourist Camp in 1935 when they built 27 cabins. Then they built the general store in 1935. Also, the, the, there's a restaurant and a lobby area there that's that's connected to the main building now. That They built that in 1941. So yeah, like you said, a hodgepodge of, of construction over the years. Yeah, they had uh, they had cabins uh, that burned down, and they built some new ones. Then they had cabins that they moved to Lake McDonald Lodge, and so it it has changed dramatically since 1911. But currently, they have 95 rustic motor in rooms and cabins. Yeah, like I said, we stayed there. We liked it. We thought the restaurant was great. Yeah, the rest, the food in the restaurant was fantastic. The, the cabins were great. I prefer Many Glacier Hotel, but if you can get a room at the Swift Current Motor Inn and Cabins, that's great too. It is because the nice thing is, and this is going to segue into talking about the hikes, is both of those lodging places are the jumping off spot for some incredible hikes. One of the first hikes we did back in the Many Glacier area Back when we were going to all the national parks was the Grinnell Glacier Trail. It was 11.2 mile round trip hike. And it's it's fairly strenuous, about 2,200 feet elevation gain. Yeah, it takes you up to Grinnell Glacier and uh, absolutely stunning hike the entire way. You're walking next to the turquoise uh, lake that's Grinnell Lake. Now, if you want to shave three and a half miles off of the hike, you can take a boat. Actually, it's two boats. It's a boat across Swift Current Lake and then a second boat across Lake Josephine. And those leave from the Many Glacier Hotel boat dock right at the back of the hotel. Mm -hmm. Um, The first one takes you to the south end of Swift Current and then everyone gets off there. You hike less than a quarter of a mile on a paved trail over to Lake Josephine and then there's another boat dock that that takes you out there. We, We have not done 
the little boat ferry system, taxi system over there. <laughs> when we hike that trail, we just we just hike the trail. Yeah, I think it would be fun to take the boats. You know, you would see something different. You would see some views down from the water. I think next time maybe we'll, maybe we'll try that. Okay. Yeah, an incredible hike. It's very popular. So again, it's kind of sound like a broken record, but go early. Start this hike early if you're headed out that way. But once you get to the top, the end, the destination of the trail, you're overlooking the Grinnell Glacier. There's a little uh, lake there that when we were there, it had little icebergs in it. Mm -hmm. So it's, it's pretty cool. But again, we've said this before. When you're hiking in the mountains, take take rain gear, take warm clothes. We've been caught in rainstorms on that trail a couple of times. Yeah, also definitely need your bear spray. There have been some grizzly attacks that have been documented and written about on this exact trail. So you absolutely want to have your bear spray. And that trail leaves uh, right from the Many Glacier Hotel. But if you go over to uh, that Swift Current Motor Inn area... You'll find the trailhead for a couple of our favorite hikes. Ptarmigan Tunnel is about 10.7 miles, 2,300 feet elevation gain. It's a spectacular hike. I would call it strenuous. Yes. Um, (laughs) Especially when you get to the end and you look up at the switchbacks leading up to the tunnel. Because at that point, I was already tired. So this tunnel, it's at the top of what's called Ptarmigan Wall. And that, that wall kind of separates the many glacier valley from the belly river valley that that's to the north and so there's a there's a tunnel right by the top of that wall that's blasted through they built it in night in the 1930s and they built it for horses to get through that's right it was built by the ccc Uh, now the tunnel is only about 240 feet long and when you come out on the other side and you're looking into the belly river valley some incredible views there and the trail continues so you could actually hike up all the way um, all the way to a trail that comes out uh, almost at the Canadian border. Right. And people obviously do that as a backpacking trip because that would take multiple days to do. Yeah, as you're <laughs> hiking up to the tunnel, you don't see this spectacular overview until you get to the other side of the tunnel. So stay yes. with it. Mm-hmm. It's worth the effort to get up to the tunnel and, and go through. That's right. Now, in 1975, the Park Service added steel doors to both ends of the tunnel. And the reason why? To keep out hibernating bears. Yeah, bears thought this was a great spot to spend the winter. Can you imagine? It probably was. Well, what I can't imagine is before 1975, going up there in the spring, hiking to go through the tunnel and finding a bear in there. <laughs> I, I wonder how many times hikers disturbed hibernating bears. I know. It must have happened. That's why they added the doors. But now the doors remain closed from October 1st until mid-July when they open this trail. So now not only can the bears not hibernate, but people cannot hike up there in the spring, Mm, at least not through the tunnel. Now, we hiked up to the Tarmogen Tunnel one beautiful September day. It was early September, thank goodness, because later in the month, there was a winter storm that came through. Now, we, on our way back, instead of going all the way back to the trailhead, we took a turn off to Iceberg Lake. Now, if you if you are just hiking to Iceberg Lake from the trailhead, it's 9.7 miles. It's about 1,275 feet elevation gain. It's strenuous, too. Mm-hmm. Not, not as strenuous, I would say, as Tarmogen Tunnel. But beautiful destination. That's a beautiful lake back there. And yeah, when we were there, it had icebergs in it. It did. And it's this beautiful turquoise color. Absolutely stunning. Uh, Now, there were a lot of people there. It's a very popular trail. There were also quite a few moose. I think we we saw moose everywhere. We saw a few moose, Mm -hmm. even one that crossed the trail in front of us. That's right. So the Tarmogen Tunnel and Iceberg Lake, they share a trail for probably half of the way. So, So, and then they split off. So it is doable. I don't remember how many miles we hiked total doing both of them at the same time. That was a a long day. It was long. Yeah. (laughs) If you've got two days and, you know, one per day, that's great. But if you, if you're short on time, you, you can do them both the same day if you're up for it. Highly recommend those two Mm -hmm. hikes. 
Now, another trail that we hiked recently, and it had been on our list for a long time and just never got around to it, is Cracker Lake. Now, this is a 12 and a half mile, 1400 foot elevation gain trail back to this spectacular lake. But one of the interesting features of this particular hike is that for the first mile and a half, two miles, it's shared with both horses and hikers, right? Yes. Which means that that first mile and a half can be pretty muddy and poopy. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Unfortunately, the day we hiked it, it had rained uh, several days earlier, and it was a quagmire of mud and horse poop. And if you've never hiked this trail before, you're thinking after the first mile and a half, you're thinking nothing could be worth hiking through this kind of mud and, and horse manure. But stay with it because after the area of, of the trail where the horses no longer are, are using it, the trail gets easier, drier, and the destination is spectacular. Yeah, it's one of those hikes where for the first gosh, maybe seven-eighths of the trip, you're in the forest, yeah, and there aren't really any views. But then all of a sudden, at the end, you come out into this gorgeous Cracker Lake Basin where you're surrounded by 3,000-foot cliffs and alpine meadows. There were glaciers nestled into these cliffs. And just like Iceberg Lake, it's an incredible turquoise color that you have to see to believe. So it was definitely worth that rough start at the beginning. I wasn't so sure about the hike in that first mile and a half of mud, but boy, by the time we got to the destination, it certainly was worth it. I agree. Um, and one thing to note, as, as we were going through this mostly forested trail, there were bushes close by on both sides, lots of berry bushes. And, and I was worried about bears, obviously, and a lot of blind corners. So as we came around the corners, we would shout out, hey, bear, hey, bear. And we'd talk loudly to try to, um, if there were bears there, to let them know we were coming. We never saw a bear but no, we, didn't. we had a really good animal sighting. <laughs> well, the vegetation at some parts was six, seven feet high, and they were close to the trail on both sides. And as we were hiking through this one stretch, all of a sudden, I was just looking at the, at the trail down at, kind of at my feet in front of me, and I saw that you fell off into, <laughs> into the vegetation. I thought you had tripped on a rock, and <laughs> as I bent down to give you a hand to pull you up, you had this odd look on your face, mm -hmm. <laughs> and that's because literally five feet away in the bushes was the biggest moose we've ever seen. Oh my gosh, with this giant antler rack. Yeah, so I was hiking along and all of a sudden out of the corner of my eye, I saw movement coming towards us and I thought it was a bear because I could see brown. And in the same second, he lifted his head as he was walking with his big moose head and his big antlers. And I was trying to turn around to tell you and I tripped over my own feet and fell. It all happened so fast, but yeah, he was right there. Yeah, it was Bowinkle. It was boy, And the reason we couldn't see him is the vegetation was about as high as his back. And when his head was down eating, he was invisible. Mm -hmm. And when that head came up, it was, it was a shock. Yeah. We moved away to what we felt was a safe distance. And then we tried to take some photos because he had stopped at this point and was eating. But with his head down and, and from our distance, we, we couldn't get any good pictures. But it, boy, it no. sure was fun to see him there. But I was <laughs> surprised that he was not bothered by us. Because oh, when, yeah. when he lifted his head as you walked by, his head couldn't have been five feet away. I know. Yeah. I know. It's so fun to see them that close. And one more trail to note in that area is the Swift Current Nature Trail. It's a 2.7-mile loop that goes all the way around Swift Current Lake. It's easy and beautiful, uh, really no elevation to speak of. So that's another thing um, if people are looking for a hike that's not so strenuous. There's one last area of the park to talk about, which is the Paul Bridge area, which is in the northwest part of the park. There's a North Fork entrance up there. One of the popular places up there is Bowman Lake. 
Yeah, beautiful Bowman Lake. From that entrance point, it's a six-mile drive on an unpaved road to get there. This road is only open in the summer. Now, we've we've been there in the summer. We've also snowshoed the road in the winter when it was closed to cars, and that was fun. The thing I would say about Bowman Lake is it is spectacular to look at. I didn't think the hiking around there was great. Well, we, we were hiking around the area in late June. The bugs were were pretty bad. Oh, horrific. Um, and there was uh, some blowdown. There was a lot of a lot of blown down trees on the trails over there. But yeah, the, the lake area was, was fantastic. People go to picnic there, sit by the lake. There was uh, a lot of people kayaking. Yes, that would be a fun thing to do. That's That would be m- my suggestion is take your kayak, uh, go up there, maybe take a picnic and just spend time at the lake. Take your camp chairs. Absolutely beautiful. And we can't forget to mention right outside that entrance is the Polebridge Mercantile, one of our favorite places to go to. Which has been there for over 100 years. Mm-hmm. And our favorite part of the store is their bakery. Oh my gosh, yes. Fantastic baked goods, especially the Huckleberry Bear Claws. Yeah, I think everything they make is probably delicious, but they're most uh, most known for those Huckleberry Bear Claws. Really cute mercantile store. You can buy merchandise there. They even have some cabins now that you can stay in in the summer. So this is, this is one of the less crowded parts of of Glacier National Park. And if you have the time, we'd highly encourage you to check out this area. All right, before we close, um, I also wanted to mention that one more option when you're visiting the park is to go up to the Canadian side of the park. There is a road on the east side that will take you up there. Um, Of course, as long as you have a passport to cross over the border. And, uh, you know, you'll have to check now what the COVID restrictions are. But they have another great Northern Railway hotel up there in the little tiny town of Waterton called the Prince of Wales Hotel. They had plans to start building that hotel in 1913, but it took another 14 years for that hotel to be built and to open. And and we've stayed there. It's a beautiful hotel. Its site right next to the lake is spectacular. Mm -hmm. The lake continues south, actually across the U.S. border. And so the south end of that lake is actually in Glacier National Park. Right. And they have boat tours. You can take boat tours in and and you can go to Goat Haunt and you can see that part of the park as well. So if you're interested, do some research on that. Uh, Now, one thing we didn't talk about today because we don't have time are the campgrounds. There are campgrounds throughout Glacier National Park. You need to take a look at the Glacier NPS website because they list them. And, you know, some are closed this year. Some take reservations and some don't. Yeah, we camped there once, uh, right there on the west side of Lake McDonald. We were tent camping that year, mm-hmm. uh, but uh, you do have to pay attention to bear activity in the area because uh, more than once we have run into the park closing the campgrounds to soft-sided tents uh, because of bear activity. And that's not good when you show up for your reservation and they have to turn you away for your own safety, of course. That's what happened to us. We had reservations at St. Mary Campground and they closed it to tent campers. Also, just this past August, when we were in the mini glacier area, we heard they closed that campground to tents due to bear activity. Sadly, there so there was a bear that had been getting into campers' food. I'm not sure if campers were actually feeding them or not, but the sad ending to that is the park service had to capture that black bear and put him down because he had become such a nuisance to the campground. Right. That's why they say a fed bear is a dead bear, and that is the case, This mm-hmm. it, and it happens in other parks as well is that uh, really can't feed the bears and have them accustomed to associating humans with, with food. That's right. Very, very important. And that about wraps up this episode. It seems like we've been talking for a really long time, doesn't it? Yeah, be- because we have. It's already dark outside. We've missed dinner. I could see the woodpeckers attacking the house next door. <laughs> These episodes take forever. I know. It's because we talk too much. We? In closing, one of the great things about Glacier is that it's a fantastic park for people who love to hike because it has a huge amount of world-class hiking. Yeah, those trails are spectacular. But Glacier is also a great park for people who don't hike. 
you know, it has some spectacular scenic drives and overlooks. It has boat tours and red bus tours. And it has beautiful lakes where you can sit and hang out on the shore. We, we had a woman write to us and say that she and her husband wanted to visit Glacier, but they're, they're not hikers. And did we think that there would be enough for them to do? And, and the answer to that is absolutely. Absolutely, yes. I mean, the park has done a good job of making it accessible to people of all different levels of activity. Mm-hmm. And it's great for kids, too. And if you're lucky, you'll see some of the incredible wildlife that's there. Oh, yeah. I mean, there's, there's grizzly bears, there's black bears, moose, mountain goats, bighorn sheep. Uh, there's even wolverines in the park. Yes. I know. I would love to see a wolverine. Yeah, well, maybe I wouldn't. They're, they're pretty shy animals. They don't, they don't like to be seen. But uh, yeah, you're likely to see large wildlife if you go to the park. That's right. So it wasn't a big surprise to us when, when in our little survey of what park is people's favorite park, it wasn't a surprise when Glacier came out the, the winner in that one. for joining us today and a special shout out to our friends who are listening in Great Britain, Spain, Denmark, and New Zealand. Wow. I know. We really appreciate you tuning in. If you'd like to follow along on our social media accounts, you can find us on Instagram at Matt and Karen Smith, on Twitter at Matt and Karen, and on Facebook at Dear Bob and S. Yes, those are all different handles. We like to vary them just to keep people confused. <laughs> <laughs> and please keep sending those mailbag questions to Matt and Karen Smith at gmail.com. You know, Matt, it's been suspiciously quiet from our woodpecker friend. I, I don't know that that is necessarily a good sign. Maybe he's out recruiting all of his friends. Yeah, I need to go get the drone. <laughs> I'll be waiting for them when they come out their hole. <laughs> <laughs>